A new year brings a new season of the Jackson Hole Connection. 2021 starts off with season number four and episode number 121. This episode's sponsor is Crew Real Estate. Should you have any questions about real estate in Jackson Hole, give Dan Bozoski or Greg Pru a call or visit Pru.com. That's P-R-U-G-H.com to search current listings. Good morning, good afternoon, happy whatever day and time you are listening to this episode. I'm Stefan Abrams, your host, recording from the worldwide headquarters in the metropolis of Jackson Hole, Wyoming. My mission with this podcast is to bring you a fascinating story of real people connected in some way to Jackson Hole. Jackson Hole is full of inspiration, liveliness, and excitement, which pulls people here like a powerful magnet. These people share their story with you and I each week. The story sharing allows us to all learn about other people's lives, which can help us all live much fuller lives. Today's guest is known around the world as an amazing mountain guide, small business owner. He's a husband and dad to Zahan Bilamoria. After growing up abroad and meeting his wife in the United States while attending college, Zahan trekked out to the valley, that's right, here in Jackson Hole in Victor and Driggs, to explore our wild, scenic, phenomenal mountains. Now the owner and operator of Samsara Experience, Zahan and his team provide all things necessary for fun hogs, as he calls it, to experience the mountains. Samsara Experience is laser focused on the client service, which offers a unique experience, which encompasses authentic wild experiences in the wilderness. Over the years, Zahan has personally experienced the beauty of the mountains and the tragedy which mountain life may also bring. Today, Zahan shares his passion and life story involving mountain life. Zahan, Thank you for joining me here at the Jackson Hole Connection today. Delighted to learn more about what you do around here and um, who you are. Right on, Stefan. Uh, glad to be here. Why don't we start off with how we start just about every episode with you sharing what is your connection here to Jackson Hole? You live here, but how did you land here and get to settle some roots? Right. Well, I grew up in Switzerland um, in another mountainous place. And ever since I was a child, really, I had a special uh, connection to Jackson um, through the pages of Powder Magazine. As a young boy, I remember having these very, this very strong affinity for Jackson and seeing these iconic images of Doug flying into Corbett's on these really kind of dark and gloomy days. And just from a very early age, almost as early as I can remember, certainly my early teenage years, I just put a pin in Jackson. It was a place that I always, I just felt really attracted to. And I ended up coming to the States for college. I met my uh, now wife in college. And shortly thereafter, shortly after college, we had a little window of opportunity and took it. We moved out here in a pickup truck. And I remember pulling off the road when we were uh, coming in through Yellowstone at the first view of the Tetons. And really, as, as soon as I, I saw the, the home range, I, I knew this was home for me. And yeah, so that, that's really how, how it all began, just living in the back of the truck and climbing and skiing and then settling in for the winter. We were in Driggs for the first season. We had our children there. And then um, 
found our way back onto this side. So you lived in your truck your first summer out here? Yeah, yeah, we did. <laughs> what was it like living out of your truck? Oh, it was great. It was great. Um, it was just Kim and I. We obviously had no kids and no other real responsibilities. So we just ate cheap food and climbed every day and roamed the wilderness. It was, it was a very simple and totally satisfying life. I, I loved it. And how many years is that now that you and Kim have lived here? Uh, let's see. That was 2003. So, yeah, almost soon to be 20 years. A couple more. Yeah, fantastic. And and now you guys are raising a family. We are. Yeah, we are. I feel like these years are just flying by. My kids are in high school and middle school now. Uh, yeah, we was right. I mean, I can't believe it. Um, I mean, that's the greatest joy of my life by far. And um, I'd start it all over again right right away. It's it's um, <laughs> it's the best part of life. And when you first moved here, what were you what what did you do for work when you first moved here? You know, it was really different when I first moved here. The economy was just very, very different. It was it was a little bit of a of a scrounge, you know. We moved to the Idaho side because it was much more affordable even back then. And um, I went to apply for a job at Targi, which I was accepted for. But then on my first day of work, they were like, wait a minute, you have dreadlocks. We can't allow that. So you got to cut your hair. And um, given the chance to work at Targi or cut my hair, it was an easy choice. I was like, no, thanks. <laughs> no way. I'm not cutting my hair for you. And by the time I got that job at Targi, we, were, we really were flat out of money. We had saved enough money to kind of live the vagabond lifestyle for a couple of months, but we, we were really running out. So I really did need a job. And I found my way into um, Patrick Gallagher's uh, Subaru shop. Patrick was a kind of legendary Teton Valley figure, just a real character. And he worked on Subarus. I, I had no mechanical experience whatsoever, but I ended up, you know, working in the shop and just learning my way through it for a little while. Um, I cooked for a bit for Patrick. And then the next chapter really begun when some, some really well-established Teton Valley old-time locals heard that I spoke Spanish. In fact, I was a Spanish teacher prior to coming here. And they were like, you know, that's always been something that we've sought to pursue is uh, developing our Spanish. We love traveling through the Spanish-speaking world. Would you teach us? And I was thrilled to. And that really spurred the beginning of a, a great chapter in my life where I ran a small language school I still have people from 15 years ago stop me in the street and um, reminisce over old times uh, when I ran Z language school. I, I've always loved teaching. I love teaching. I truly love teaching. So that was a chapter that made a lot of sense. And I did that uh, quite a lot through my first three or four years. Um, it was a great job because people wanted to study in the evenings. And I just pursued the challenges of the mountains by day. You know, I was just roaming around the hills and then I'd come home and teach a couple of Spanish classes. It was great. That's awesome. That's how it began. Yeah. And at a certain point, you moved into being a guide. That's right. I always wanted to be a guide ever since I was a young child. Um, about the same time that I fell in love with the idea of, of Jackson and the Tetons, I was really right around the same time that I became obsessed with wanting to be a mountain guide. And when I was 18, I graduated from high school. I had already had a number of close calls and, and kind of epics in the mountains because in Europe you can access the most complex big alpine terrain with a tram and so with my friends with very little experience we would take the tram up to the top of the AV Dumidi uh, in Chamonix and we would just embark on these missions 
And by the time I turned 18, my parents had seen that, you know, we were really not slowing down and we needed some direction. And so they suggested that they'd give me a graduation gift of a day with a guide and we could go climb something and I would learn along the way. And by pure luck, I ended up with a legend of alpine climbing who is still alive today. His name is Christophe Profi. He was a legendary French alpinist, mountain guide, come back from K2. It's set speed records all over the Alps. I followed his career through the magazines. And when I showed up with my backpack at the Aigle de Midi and Christophe walked up, my jaw hit the floor. And that was the beginning of, of me just being on that path. I, I just knew like, okay, whatever this guy does, like that, that's what I want to do. Like that's who, that's the you know, that's kind of the model of the, of, of what I want to achieve. And so, so it begun, you know, and then kind of following up on my time here, I moved here to become a guide. That's absolutely was my intention well before I moved here. But uh, once I moved here, I was really seeking a life that was really based in the mountains. And that just gave me the, the freedom to explore the mountains. And the language school was a perfect stepping stone because it gave me that window of time to just be out in the mountains and developing my own experience my own skills, pursuing mentorship, and just having the freedom to do that by day. And then eventually, I went knocking on Rich Rinaldi's door. And Rich was the guide service owner for Yo Smart Backcountry Tours, beautiful little guide service on the Western Slope. And Rich had a very great reputation, was a very respected uh, member of the community. And I mentored under Rich for a few years. Uh, and that's really was the beginning of, of my career as a guide. Do you feel that you loving teaching and wanting to be a guide, there's a connection there? A hundred percent. Yeah, that's exactly right, Steph. It's very good observation. I mean, for me, those are just one and the same, you know, that, yeah, you just, you know, if you're the kind of person that thrives on, on elevating someone else's experience, then those two things are really not very different at all. Guiding isn't always actually about teaching. Sometimes it can be, but it's very much about like enabling an experience and advancing someone else's world and seeing them experience something that they needed some guidance with. Uh, and so teaching and guiding were both of those things. It's a good combination. Your love for the mountains and your passion for teaching. Uh, sounds like a dream job for a lot of people to have such, you know, your, some passions that you can put together. Not everybody's so fortunate. Yeah, yeah. No, um, that's absolutely right. And guiding has always been that combination of those two factors or, or kind of aspects of my life. But guiding is a hard profession too. It's, uh, it's an uncertain profession, especially 15 years ago. It's very different now. Now there's no shortage of work for the guides that are uh, on the roster. You know, there's, there's usually enough work to go around. But back in those days, there really wasn't, especially not in the winter. It was very sparse and very unpredictable, right? Somebody would just walk into a shop on a Sunday and say, hey, I want to ski with a guide tomorrow. And, you know, you'd be lucky if you got that call once a week. Um, so you have to supplement it with a lot of other things, but then you have to be dynamic and able to accept it at the drop of a hat. Mm. Uh, it doesn't pay terribly well, you know, and in an expensive high price community like, like ours, it's, it's difficult that way as well. But it's just one of those things that if it's, the, if it is the right job for you, you're just going to do whatever it takes to do it. And you just, yeah, you know, you, you kind of find a way, or I was fortunate to find a way. What has changed the market for guiding that now it's 
plenty of work. There's more consistency compared to when you started. Well, the, the thing that's changed the most has been the winter season, right? Um, Exum, that's who I've spent the majority of my career working for. Exum has always had a really strong summer season. Like we say at Exum, the Grand Teton sells itself. You know, it's just this iconic mountain that people from all around the world want to climb. It just so happens that, you know, the two common routes up there are just challenging enough that you really do need a guide, but they're not so challenging that your average person can't attain it. So this, the summer season, I think, is, has been strong for Exum for a very, very long time. And with very little training uh, and just a very little equipment, you know, most people can attain the summit of the Grand. And that's amazing experience, amazing mountain, beautiful climb. So that's always been there. But the winter absolutely wasn't. Um, and all the factors that have driven the growth in backcountry skiing have also driven the growth in backcountry guiding hmm. and the winter emerging as a season that is now really on par with the summer in some ways is a result of, of those factors. And that's the education, um, the equipment and the growing interest of the public. And, you know, people just, you take the tram and then you're like, wow, how many times have I skied the same mountain? I sure like to ski another mountain. And I see all of this snow covered terrain out there. And you kind of realize like the world's your oyster and you, you have the freedom to just gallivant as you wish in the mountains it's very it's very special experience so yeah just seeing all that growth is what's created the change at at exum and i think when i started at exum there was maybe three guides who worked in the winter who were not the owners Hmm. okay now there's maybe I, i don't know exactly but 30 maybe 40 wow yeah yeah huge difference yeah yeah absolutely Absolutely. And, and I mean, the Tetons are very complex mountain range. Snowpack is very complex, right? So it's with good reason. You know, even a lot of locals hire guides and, and become great friends with their guides and they ski with them all winter because it's their ticket to an experience they would never otherwise be able to have. And I think a lot of the guides really thrive on, on those local relationships. Mm-hmm. I know I did for sure during kind of my peak years there. So I'm, I'd like to transition into what you are doing now. Now you have your own business. You've started your own business. Share with us what that's about. Yeah, I, I own and operate a business called the Samsara Experience. And Samsara Experience is kind of two parts. One part is global private guiding. Um, so over the last five years, we've, you know, with people who've just really become my friends, a lot of a lot of local characters traveled all over the world, all over Europe, Le Grave, Chamonix, uh, lots of time in British Columbia, in different places. And we're just seeking out, you know, the big mountain experience, the big mountain backcountry experience, some expeditions, some camping style trips, and then, uh, you know, some more like European hut style trips, all, all these different things. And that's been a huge part of my world. And then, well, it's kind of had three parts. So the private guiding has been one part. The second part has been avalanche education. And that's just something that I've been deeply, deeply passionate about for a long time. My world has been reshaped by avalanches. I've lost my closest friends uh, to avalanches and I've had close calls myself and I have been reminded over and over again how enormously complex the mountains are and particularly when they're covered in snow. And I'm really fascinated by snow. I'm, I'm, I'm very, yeah, I think it's... Uh, it's a beautiful thing, really, but it's a complicated thing. So I spent a lot of my life teaching about snow and 
At Zamsara, what we do is we really pick up where traditional avalanche education leaves off. I spent a lot of my career working for the American Avalanche Institute, fantastic organization uh, based here in the Tetons that uh, was founded by Rod Newcomb, the oldest avalanche school in the country. But the shape of American avalanche education is such that it has become very, very focused on the professional track. And the recreational skier who's not so much interested in guiding and note-taking and crystal identification and all of these elements that are a part of the professional uh, needs, they dead end at a relatively low level, in my opinion. And for those people who are looking up the grand and figuring out how to forecast for that type of skiing or who are going to go ski off an unskied peak in Alaska or Bolivia, there's no education path for them. And that's what we do. It's called the Big Mountain Snow Safety Program. It's been running for about seven years. We only teach high-level freeride athletes, and we only teach in small groups. And that's been a huge part of my work over the last few years. And then the, the third component is um, we train elite-level athletes across the spectrum of sports, mostly mountain sports. And right now we have a team of 30 athletes who we train virtually um, through an online platform that we've built. And actually just yesterday, we, we have been training a team of 30. Now we're moving up to, I think we're about 45 now. And that has really kind of really been front and center in my world over the last couple of years. Um, I'm really passionate about physiology and the human body and, and, and high performance. And um, so that, that's kind of been like the third prong of the, the Samsara experience. You have a full plate. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I really do. That's why I yeah. need Bill Watkins. <laughs> um, Help me navigate I'll, it all. Yeah, he's he's a magician for sure. He is. Um, I want to take a quick break to have a word from one of our sponsors, and then we're going to be right back because I'm so excited to learn more about the Samsara experience. Right on. When you are thinking about making a real estate decision, it's important to go with someone you can trust. Recently, I trusted Dan Fazoski at Pru Real Estate to personally handle a real estate transaction. The service and attention I received demonstrated I am important. Greg Pru started Pru Real Estate in 2002 with you, the customer in mind. Give Greg or Dan a call at 307-733-9888 or visit pru.com to connect today. Zahan, welcome back. Thank you for sharing this insight to what you do. And you were just talking about there's three prongs to your business. And I, I respect and everything that you're doing with the, I want to know more about the go, global private guiding, how cool about the avalanche education. And you zeroed in on a core group of people that you only train, it sounds like, for that. But then you also spoke about you train elite athletes who are mainly focused on mountain sports. Could you share with us what are those mountain sports and what is the definition of an elite athlete? Well, you know, uh, let's see what mountain sports. We don't really discriminate very heavily. You know, our method of training is what we call a full spectrum method. And full spectrum kind of refers to the fact that as human beings, we're capable of performing across a variety of lengths of time, right? Like human beings have run across continents. They've done amazing feats of endurance that involve 
um, a low level of output for a very long period of time. And humans are also capable of being explosive and extremely powerful. And we train that entire spectrum of athletic performance. Um, and our passion is developing that full spectrum in the athlete where other training programs generally focus on one particular energy system. You know, we train marathoners. So we just have that home, that sort of energy system. Whereas our thing is, no, we want to, we want to find the secret sauce of training the three-dimensional athlete who can be explosive in a moment and have the endurance to go all day. So we're, we don't discriminate, uh, heavily, but we do tend to attract, you know, high level rock climbers, uh, which is the most strength end of the sports that we train, you know, hard rock climbing is really not much of an endurance sport. It's a, uh, it of course has an endurance demand. Um, you know, hard sport climbing does certainly, but it, it's, it's primarily a, a movement sport and, and strength sport. But, um, we have elite level runners. We, we have a guy who just ran a two hour, 11 minute marathon. We've got guys who are on the free ride world tour. We got guys who own the speed record on a bunch of the peaks, including the grand winter grand. Um, so kind of a spectrum of people who are just uh, on the quest for the next frontier in human performance. Unimaginable. For yeah, me. it's fun. It's so fun. You know, <laughs> um, you just connect with people who are so, so passionate and so dedicated and so hungry. And that's just really fun. It's really, it's, it's fun to move the needle. You know, that's something I've always enjoyed as, as a human is like, I love the idea that with a better understanding of biology and, and physiology, we as humans really have the keys to our own castle. Like we can make almost any change imaginable in our own bodies, uh, whether that's healing our own injuries or addressing dysfunctions in the left side of our body versus the right side or moving the needle on performance. Uh, I love all of that. I just, I love how malleable the human system is and with the right stimulus and the right, the right kind of special sauce of, of stimulus and recovery, we can make amazing changes. That's just really fun. Have you had people contact you where they were interested in you to be their coach, but there wasn't an alignment for the coaching you provide for what their need was? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I mean, my like philosophy about doing work is I only want to do the things that I believe I'm the best at. I think there's a lot of things that I could do, but I think I look around and I say, yeah, but so-and-so can do that too. And they maybe do it better than me. I only want to do the things that I'm absolutely best at. So I'm really, really clear about like, hey, this is my research. This is my method. This is how we work. And, you know, nowadays with social media, like we can remind people and, and engage with people every day about our approach. And so I think that by the time people are willing to spend money to be coached by us, they're pretty on board. And we don't have any, you know, like a lot of training programs or training businesses sell um, plans like, hey, you can buy this plan 30 bucks or buy that plan. We don't really have anything like that. Like the coaching that we do is all much of more of a deep dive into each individual's personal journey. And it's a much bigger commitment, three month commitment. Um, so people don't just, you know, throw a thousand bucks at something that sounds 
vaguely interesting. Like, I think they've really poked around and really kind of heard what we have had to say and and found that you know what that does resonate with me and i have this experience and i've talked to this pt and i've had all these different pieces of the puzzle that have led me to feel like yeah this is the right place for me so we're, we're really like we really know what we do and what we do best and how we do it and we're not like we're very clear about that i think and we we attract the kind of athletes that are on board with that you know if you if you're still finding that like you know, banging out reps at the CrossFit box is working for you. Like, we're good with that. Like, keep doing that. We're not trying to be everything to everybody. Congrats, because there's a lot of businesses which are, are not as clear and they, they take any customer. So you're, it, it sounds as though that if somebody is finding you and reaching out to you, they've done some research to understand what you do and how you do it. And, and they feel as though that they align with your method. Yeah, I think so. You know, I, I don't know they will ever grow huge that way, but I'm not so interested in growing big. I just want to go deep. Like that's my thing is like, if I can go deep with people, whether it's in the mountains, in education or in training, like if, if there's a way for us to really connect and really drill down to the details and really get into it, then I know I can be successful. Um, I don't know that I could just sell you something online and have you buy it for cheap and have it really have an impact on you. So for me, I'm like, well, I'm just not confident in my ability to do that. So I'm not going to sell that. Mm -hmm. And and you say we, so do you have coaches that are on your team? Yeah. Yeah. Um, we have a small staff of avalanche educators now, a bunch of local guys, actually, mostly. And um, we have one other coach, also a local woman. Her name's Esther Smith. She's brilliant. Esther owns and operates grassroots physical therapy, which has been, uh, in my opinion, the nation's premier sports physical therapy clinic for climbers in particular. She's, Esther's done a lot of work with um, very high level climbers in, from a PT uh, standpoint. And we connected through PT and then I've been mentoring her and, and kind of imparting the method that we've developed and she begins coaching in a few weeks. So very very excited to unleash esther's wisdom onto the world she's a really special person and a brilliant student of the human body um she's going to be outstanding so you know we kind of have a crew on both sides of that kind of the snow mountain side and then the athlete side and then a couple staff that help run run the business that's that's awesome i'm i'm curious as well as i mentioned before about your global private guiding is that for athletes or is that for people it's for fun in... hogs only it's for what fun hogs only fun hogs only yeah it's just for fun hogs you have to be a certified fun hog what's no, your I definition mean, just, of a fun hog um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> somebody who's like dedicated dedicated to having a good time good time in the mountains but you know i mean I, that was that's kind of really consumed my world for the last few years more than the other two parts but that is not a viable business in a time of COVID. Uh, true. <laughs> right. <laughs> so uh, I can't wait to get back to, um, you know, going climbing, uh, spending the summer in the Dolomites and, you know, uh, base camping out of a tent in a remote part of BC. But it's going to be, that's, I feel like that world is going to come back when it comes back. And I'm not in a rush to be the first one out the door let the world come to a place that um, is a little bit more in equilibrium and, and then we'll, 
step out again and and hopefully have some of those memorable experiences. I'm I'm interested to know in all the places that you've been, do you have some top memories of views or sunrises or sunsets that you've experienced that you wish other people could experience because the only way to capture it is to be there? You know, my feeling is that like the best experiences are about so much more than just the place. And I, I have random amazing memories from random corners of the Tetons or further afield places, but it's not something you can recreate, right? It's, it's like it's like going on a honeymoon with your wife. Like it was special because of the moment and because of the, the time and the person. And you could go back with a bunch of buddies to your sweet honeymoon spot and it could be just whatever. And that's how, really how I feel about the mountain experience because, you know, to me, one thing I've never been interested in is this whole like, ah, oh, it's the seven summits or the, the checklist and the tick list. I don't want to go to those places. I don't want to go to the places where everybody else wants to go because the thing I'm seeking is a wilderness experience. So just going back to a place that is like, has good Yelp reviews and is just so popular is not my jam really. I feel that way about things in the mountains. So yeah, I have some great memories, but they were so much a part of it was like the moment, the people I was with, maybe the conditions that we had, you know, I'm just really, and I think the people who, who travel with me, it's just like on the hunt for an authentic, wild experience. And you can have those all over the world if you're creative, you know. One of the most, the most recent one, well, not the most recent, but one of the more recent trips that um, really stands out for me was um, my friends Ben and Fred, who um, both ski in the Tetons, uh, and I went to Bolivia for three weeks uh, on a Patagonia trip. And that was just so amazing, just beautiful. We skied 6,000 meter peaks. We traveled all over the country. We just had an amazing, amazing time. Uh, I'd love to go back there for sure. Certainly a place I have yet to go visit, but hopefully someday can experience as well. Because you see the name Patagonia all over the place, but not because of the mountain, but more because of the brand of the company of what they do. <laughs> Yeah, Patagonia is an awesome, awesome company. Um, I love what they're doing. Yeah. And in the early part of the show, the pre-show, you had mentioned that you recently came out with a movie. And how do people access that movie and what's the title of it? The movie's on YouTube. It's, uh, it's free. It's called Solving for Z. Uh, that wasn't my choice, but I can live with it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> The, the original title for the film was The Ephemeral Path. And it was an idea that JK at TGR came up with three years ago that was basically, you know, kind of telling the story of my career, my life, and the path of somebody who's pursuing a high-risk career while also being a family man and, and raising children and creating a, a stable life. And, you know, the, the trials of that and... Um, yeah, just the journey of that. And well, I won't, I won't spoil the film, but it, the film goes sideways. Let's just say that things happen during the making of the film that deepen it and also complicate it. And it's, um, it's a pretty raw look at grief and the journey of loss and the beauty of the mountains. Well, I look forward to, to watching that, that movie. And thank you for 
putting yourself out there with uh, your experience. Yeah, thank you. That's definitely what it's all about, Stefan. It's all that movie's all about me kind of stepping out and and yeah, talking about the the parts of the experience that maybe we don't talk about as much. And you know, TGR and Patagonia collaborated to to make the film and invested in it. And it takes people and and brands that want to speak authentically about those things and so yeah just my deepest appreciation to patagonia and tgr for the being a part of the journey of time time this way and are your boys are they showing this the interest in your um what you do um to be out there in the mountains i have just i have one boy and one daughter okay my apologies no worries okay. no problem um yeah, my two. I mean, <laughs> I I'm always so hesitant when people ask me like, "What do your kids think about the mountains? What does your wife think?" I'm always like, "Man, you should ask them. Like, they should answer because if they hear what I say, they can be like, yeah, that's." <laughs> I don't know, but um, I mean, Ali Osho, my older one, he loves to ski. He absolutely loves to ski, and he's doing Nordic now, so he's getting pretty fit, and so I think he's enjoying the backcountry experience a little bit more. We've always been in the backcountry. That's just like my you know, like I, you know, there's certain things that I just tell the kids, like, uh, this is just like, this is just what our family does. You know, we spend time in the mountains, we spend time in the wilderness, we walk, we use it as a chance to connect with nature and connect with each other. Do they love it? Sometimes, some parts of it. But I mean, you know, my kids are just normal kids, right? Like Gemma likes horses, Aliosha likes to play soccer. They've got their own passions. And I'm not in any way attached to them being skiers or being you know, badass climbers or none of that matters to me at all. But it definitely matters to me very, very much that they have a genuine connection to the wilderness and to wild places, to nature and to, to the to the solitude that is a part of the mountain experience. And I remember, you know, even in my own life, when things were hard in high school or just different moments in your life, like whether I knew I was doing it consciously or not, I always turned to nature to find healing, to find quiet, to make understanding out of complexity and stuff like that. And I, I want to ensure that my children's lives are rooted in nature in whatever shape, you know, like Gemma's connection to nature is through horses. You know, if we are on a horse packing trip, which I've only done one, but like Gemma is, is just alive. She's just thriving. If we're like breaking trail through Needy pow, she's kind of like, when are we done? So, you know, <laughs> she can have her own experience of nature and I'm good with that. But, mm -hmm. you know, she's still got to go back country skiing with dad until she graduates. That's just the way it goes. We just, we don't have to do anything rad. It doesn't have to be anything big, but like, yeah, we're going to go for a walk in nature. That's what we do. I, I love that because you're not forcing them into what your passion is, but you are exposing them to it. So they always have something to connect to in that world of wilderness. And, and I wish more kids out there had the opportunity to be outdoors and experience the wilderness, like what you're doing. And I mean, we take our kids camping in the summer and yeah, exactly. gotta be outside as much as they will yeah, accommodate. Exactly. Our kids are a little bit younger, but we'll, we'll get there for being outside a little bit more in the winter. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think my kids would probably totally take issue with me being on a podcast where the host says, oh, so you don't force your kids? My kids would be like, oh, yeah, no, he definitely forces us. <laughs> well, you're not you're not saying, hey, I'm going to put you in this position to where you can be the raddest climber, the raddest, no, coolest no. backcountry skier. It's more of, yeah, yeah we are going to go outside. We are going to go have the experience. Yeah. What you do with it later in your life is up to you. But at least you're exposing it to them and you have the, the family memories to be out there. Totally. And, and it gets everybody away from what else is happening. And yeah, that's right. That's yeah. so much for the soul. Yeah. You should pop over this evening and give my kids a little talk on that. That was very eloquent. <laughs> <laughs> they don't want to hear from the bald uh, bearded guy. <laughs> so, no, but I, I love it. I mean, um, yeah, you know, my kids are only going to be around for a couple more years. And, you know, the wilderness is a place that yields and builds memories. And that's, you know, just like connection to each other, laughs, you know, surprising moments, whatever. Like that's is just a vehicle for human experience is where we're supposed to be right i mean that is our home yeah um that's that's so true so true even if it's a pair of snowshoes you strap on your feet and you just go for a walk no you're so right i mean it's so true like you know as a guide and everything you can get very elitist about like oh well that 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 doesn't count and that's useless but it's like i'm i'm kind of learning to be more accommodating in that regard and like like you said you know just like summer camping out of the truck where we're like just going to build a bonfire and you know kick a soccer ball around whatever like it it doesn't always have to be mega but just um yeah breaking away from the from the home and 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 the phones and just all that comes with our modern life is just really important yeah really good stuff Mm -hmm. right zahan this has been so inspiring and, and informative and I really appreciate you taking the time to to speak to me and, and to the guests to all the listeners. Um, if somebody wants to connect with you, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? Um let's see they probably just you know on Instagram um, follow message us there we'll get back to you we're, we're always on there and that's an, that's an easy place to kind of see what we're up to and, and yeah, ping us with a message. Okay. Yeah. Follow you on Instagram and why don't you say what your Instagram channel is? The uh, Samsara experience. Okay. Samsara experience. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you, Seth. And thanks for the time and great questions. And yeah, it's really nice to connect. Indeed. Well, be safe, be well, and keep having fun with the family. Zahan. Right on, man. All right. Talk to you soon. Yeah. Bye-bye. To learn more about Zahan and Samsara experience, visit the jacksonholeconnection.com episode number 121 of season number four. Happy 2021, everybody. Share this episode with everyone you're connected to and send us some feedback. I can always be reached via email at connect at the jacksonholeconnection.com. Many thanks to everybody who listens in here every week. My editor and marketing director, Michael Morey, my wife, Laura, my boys, I love you dearly. And everybody out there, peace be with you. I sure hope you've enjoyed this episode and I look forward to seeing you back for the next episode of the Jackson Hole Connection.